Do you ever stop to think where your life story is heading? I wonder if you're satisfied with how your life story has panned out so far. Here's Naomi. She left Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the place in the country of God's promise, the Lord who will provide, and she's left. She left with her husband, Elimelech. They had two sons. They headed into enemy territory with her husband to build a life. It seems like that act was a turning her back on God. The family were turning their back on God, leaving the place that God had provided for them. And because there was a famine, took it into their own hands to build a new life in a different place, in enemy territory. We knew from chapter 1 that Naomi came back lost, bitter, deeply sad, without a husband, without her two sons, without a daughter-in-law. It looks as if God has turned his back on her. And yet there's one daughter-in-law that's still clinging on to Naomi, Ruth. And they're in a vulnerable position, desperate, but not without hope. Do you remember the end of chapter 1? Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning, there's a glimmer of hope. And then we met Boaz. And we saw God's kindness shown in his people's obedience in the harvest field, letting the widows glean. And Ruth gleans in the field of Boaz. And we find out that Boaz is a relative and it means that he is a kinsman redeemer, a guardian. It's him who, by law, will be able to buy back the land that was originally theirs and therefore give them protection. And yet Boaz has not made a move. It's a cliffhanger. He's not done anything. Remember the end of chapter 2, verse 23, if you've got your Bibles open. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Boaz has not made a move. And we're led to believe, as we read this story, that things are going to pan out. We want them to pan out. It's the same with every story, isn't it? You get a glimpse of what might happen in the future, but not quite. You want the story to have a happy ending. Of course, we do. Here's Ruth, chapter 3. God's great purpose worked out through the obedience of his people. That's how I've titled Ruth, chapter 3. God's great purpose worked out through the obedience of his people. And yet, Ruth, chapter 3, is a tricky chapter. If you had your head in the passage, you're trying to work out, well, is that right? Is that good? What's going on here? So I want to try and break Ruth chapter 3 down into three points. But in those three points, to look on three different levels. Now, I wonder if you remember Milk Tray. Remember that? Remember the adverts of the man in black and he would do all within his power All because the lady loved milk tray. And yet, what was so good about milk tray? Forget it was all because uh, the lady loved milk tray. Forget that for a moment. Milk tray was a magnificent box of chocolates because it had levels. Do you remember? We'll have one or two of these a bit later on. 
But do you remember, I wonder if you do, maybe it's just because I'm a little aging now. And I remember on a Sunday afternoon, we used to have a box of chocolates. And we'd go into perhaps a box of milk tray. Fabulous. Look at that. A full box of chocolates. There's not many a better sight. Oh, lovely smell as well. And we got to the last two or three. And you're like, oh, no, what's happening here? This strawberry liquor. You don't want that. You don't want to be the one that picks up that. Lo and behold, oh, off we go again, milk tray, layer two. And do you know what happened after layer two? Just in case, do you remember? Maybe it was just me, maybe. But I would just peel back layer two, just in case there was a third layer. And I would angle up the, uh, the size of the box and think, maybe there is three layers in there. Now, listen, milk tray, we'll have a chocolate later, but think about the levels that we're going to look at, because it's really important. And so come back to milk trays, you think about not just the two levels, but the three levels. And here are the levels that we're going to uh, look at um, within the three points. Here's level one, we're just going to say, kind of, Make a statement or ask a question. So this is what's happening as we try and explain, as we try and work out what's going on. Level two, so what does this teach us about God? What are the three points that we're going to look at teach us about God in level two? And then level three, so what does this mean for us today? Ruth chapter three, a tricky chapter. So let's go and say, God, please help us. Level one. One day Ruth's mother-in-law... Verse 1, Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Here's Naomi, and here's the plan. Is it a plan of obedience? Get yourself ready, Ruth, she says. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on best perfume. Get ready to go out. Make yourself look beautiful. It takes me back to my university days when we got the glad rags on. That's the same thing that's going on here. Go and impress, says Naomi to Ruth. Boaz is winnowing barley at the threshing floor in the big barn, sorting out the wheat from the chaff. He'll be working late. So wait until he has finished. Wait till he's eaten. Wait till he has drank. Wait till he's in good spirits. And then lie down at his feet. Ruth's response. Verse 5. I will do whatever you say. Now we're not exactly sure what Naomi has in mind. Is Naomi trusting in God's promises to provide? But this means taking risks. Because we know that the law says that God's people should reflect God's character in looking after his people. We looked at that last week a little bit. And Boaz, up to now, has shone like a star in a world that is dark when everyone did as they pleased. Here's Boaz and he's shining like a star. Is this plan that Naomi is hatching, is it based upon God's bigger plan? Is this a good plan? Or... Has Naomi gone mad? Seems very wrong, doesn't it, when you heard John read it out? Do you know the original Hebrew makes even more of an emphasis that this plan was of a sexual nature? 
Is Naomi now taking the way of Elimelech, not trusting in God? Is she hatching a selfish plan that only looks after her own interests? Is it a way to trap Boaz into buying their family back? I don't know if you read that and thought, well, what, what, what is happening? Look, there's no way that I'm giving Korabel or Talitha that kind of advice when it comes to them getting married or choosing a man. It's a contentious point. People will and do disagree here. We're just not certain. We can't have confidence in either way. And we've got to remember what the kind of story, story we're reading in the Old Testament. The narrator is describing events. He's not prescribing what behaviour or activity should look like. So I don't need to read too much into this in terms of trying to apply this for myself. We understand that the narrator does not tell us everything that's going on. So there's so much cultural stuff that is missed out that we don't quite get. But what we can ask is, is it a plan in obedience or not? Level two... What does God, what does this teach us about God? Well, we know that whether this is a good plan or a really bad plan, that God's providential plans reign supreme over the plans of the people that he's created. We know that because we kind of know the end of the story. However, God's providential plans, they never undermine the human responsibility of making plans. So it's not that God's providential plan supersedes all of my plans and therefore I do what I want, let go, let God. No, God's providential plan never undermines the human responsibility of making good plans. And so therefore we come to level three. What does this mean for us today at Town Church? I have choices and plans to make every day. Some small, some big. And they all really matter before a a sovereign God. Some choices and decisions I make are sinful and selfish and I know it. Some choices and decisions are more borderline. Should I watch that movie or that TV program? Should I have another drink? Should I reply like that in a WhatsApp message? See, if that's the question... Was Naomi planning in in obedience? It's the same question for us in the big, small plans and decisions of life. Will I plan in light of God's word? Big plans, house moves, career paths. Who to marry? Small, everyday plans. What will I do with this free evening? Will I spend it with friends on my own? Chat about that big issue with my spouse. What will I do with the time that God has given me? And in all of those big plans, small plans, will I trust in God's providential plan over all as the story of life unfolds? And as we see this story of Ruth, these small decisions in time bring about the greatest story on earth. And on the first Sunday of Advent... Maybe it's a good question uh, to ask ourselves. Will I plan obediently towards Christmas, towards the new year? Will I plan obediently as I wait in anticipation for God's great providential plan to come to pass as we again reflect in Jesus and await for his 
second coming. Keep this in check. Will you plan in obedience? Scene one, perhaps it takes place in Ruth's bedroom. Can you imagine Naomi just at the door saying, oh, put that perfume, not that. Get No, 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 not that dress, that dress. Get yourself looking smart in Ruth's bedroom. Scene two, perhaps if you like, is in Boaz's bedroom. Scene 2, verses 6 to 13. I've called this take risks in obedience. Here's level 1. This is what happened. Remember level 1? This is what happened. Verse 6, Ruth goes down to the threshing floor. But you see, this plan of Naomi's, whether good, whether it's bad, it's fraught with risks. What if the workers find Ruth looking like she does with they attack her? What if the workers accuse Ruth of throwing herself at Boaz like a prostitute? What if Boaz takes advantage of her? And remember Ruth in verse 5 has said, Look, Naomi, all that you do, all that you say, I will do. Sorry, all that you say, I will do. Ruth is totally obedient. Naomi said, look, when he he lies down, know the place where he is lying, verse 4, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. We see this acted out in verse 7. There is Boaz in the corner of the barn at the end of the grain pile. He's eaten. He he has drank and he lies down in good spirits. He's not drunk. He's just satisfied is the word. He's satisfied after a a harvest that's come to the end of the, the barley and the wheat season. And now here's a man. Who is eaten and he's drank and he's satisfied with life. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night. He turns over and finds a woman at his feet. He's startled. He's amazed. He's dumbfounded. Who are you? And she answered verse 9. I am Ruth, your servant. See, Ruth is obedient in every way to Naomi. But she does not wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. Remember Naomi? Wait for him and he will tell you what to do. Ruth does not wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. Look what Ruth says, verse 9. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. What is she doing? What is Ruth asking? Here's Ruth. Ruth. Ruth is saying to Boaz, you said that I have taken refuge underneath the wing of the Lord. To verse 12, it's on your cards. It's a critical verse in the story of Ruth. She's saying to Boaz, look, you've already said that I've taken refuge underneath the wing of the Lord. And you trust and follow the Lord, Boaz. So I'm asking you, will you be the wing in which I take refuge under? And what grounds, what grounds can Ruth ask such questions well on the grounds of God's word Leviticus 25 verse 25 says if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold she's trusting in God's word and she's trusting in Boaz's kindness 
Leviticus 25, verse 35, 10 verses later, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger. And we've seen Boaz and his kindness. This is a huge thing. See what Ruth is doing. In effect, she's denying all her rights. Hands up. I have nothing, Boaz. So I'm obediently taking a risk that you will do everything for me. Protect me. I am yours. Redeem us. Buy back the land. Accept me into your people. Marry me. The covering of the corner of a garment is a Jewish symbol for marriage. Marry me. And I have a mother-in-law too. If you take me, you take her. How's Boaz going to react? You see, he's not outraged. He's flattered. (laughs) Ruth could have gone after all the younger men, but she has been faithful to Naomi and to the kindness of Boaz. Look at verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. It's such an affectionate term. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Oh, Boaz. He rises to the top again. This is great cost for Boaz. We shouldn't miss this. To take in Ruth and her mother-in-law. Complete change in life. Ruth, perhaps. But mother-in-law too? That's a big deal. Boaz is willing to be kingsman, redeemer. But there is another. You saw that in verse 12 and 13. That's level one. That's what's going on. Level two... What does this teach us about God? Well, we see God's kindness reflected in the kindness of Ruth. In her obedience, in looking after Naomi and seeking out her kinsman redeemer. We see God's generosity reflected in Boaz. Boaz promises to take in the destitute, the enemy, at great cost. You see, we see something of God's rescue In the kindness of Boaz, God takes back those who've rejected him, enemies of him. He will do everything to make that possible. Boaz is some kind of Christ. Of course, he's not Jesus Christ. But we're to read Ruth and we're to to see Boaz as, as something before Jesus, something of God's goodness, of God's rescue. And now Boaz will do everything. To make it possible. We're meant to see God and his goodness. To do everything to make it possible to bring us back to him. Through Christ. Ponder that now for a moment. Before we do level three. What does this mean for us today? What does risky obedience look like in action 
for you? Well, it must always start, always start with the idea of holding up my hands and saying, I have nothing to give. God, I'm yours. You're mine. The Lord Jesus said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me, deny himself. Now use me is risking in obedience in the everyday, in the classroom, to stand up for truth. Lord, I can't do this, but you can through me in the work common room, gently giving a Christian opinion on a current issue. Dropping the children off at the school gates and speaking to other parents about church on the Sunday. Trusting in God for relationships. Holding on to him in those lonely moments and not going with what the world says. And WhatsApp. Inviting friends to come to the Christmas activities. Take risks in obedience. Buying a book for a friend to introduce them to the Christian faith. Taking risks in obedience. Making a significant financial contribution this Christmas to help the poor and the destitute. Taking risks in obedience. I wonder if we were to ask Boaz. What does being risky in generosity look like for you? He'd say protection. Going to protect the vulnerable. He doesn't send a... Back out in the dark, he says, just lie here until morning. What does being risking generosity look like for Boaz financial? He's got to buy back the land. Time commitment. He's got to go into the marketplace. Life change commitment. He's got to look after Ruth and her mother-in-law. You see, making moment by moment decisions of obedience, which could mean risk and could be costly, dare to be different. And dare to speak of him. Remember when I was a younger lad, just became a Christian. And the guy who was helping me to understand Jesus, uh, he said these words, and I'll never forget them, and I don't think I've lived them out. But he says, he said, Blanks, do one thing every day that scares you in following Jesus. Do one thing every day to take risk in obedience, to put your neck on the line or just to show the world that you, you follow a different drumbeat. I wonder what that looks like for us at Town Church. Let's go on to scene three quickly and lastly. Trust in obedience. If the first scene was in Ruth's bedroom as she was getting ready and the second scene in Boaz's bedroom, the third scene is in Naomi's bedroom as Ruth turns back and heads back. Level one, this is what happened. Look what Boaz does. Verse 15, bring me the shawl you're wearing. Hold it out. And when he did so, he poured into it six measures of barley. Placed the bundle on her. Then she, then he went back uh, to town. He sends her back with 22 litres of grain. That's six big bottles of coke that she carries on her back. That's a hefty bundle. And she leaves before it gets light so that no one is disgraced. She enters the home. Perhaps Naomi is still in bed. How did it go, my daughter? Well, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. Isn't that interesting? 
So Naomi doesn't go, so Ruth doesn't go back, sorry, and say, look, here's the promise. <laughs> look what Ruth says about Boaz. You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law, is what Boaz said to Ruth to pass on to Naomi. See back in chapter 1, verse 21, what Naomi said, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me, said Naomi. Now we see that Naomi is totally full. And Boaz hasn't even become the Redeemer yet. And yet... The story's on a knife edge. Because there's another. Verse 18, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz has got such a reputation now. That's level one. Level two, what does this teach us about God? Well, it teaches us that God is the provider. Now Naomi is full teaches us that God's great purpose is worked out through the, the obedience of his people. It teaches us that God's people walk underneath God's word. See Naomi perhaps faltering. She did trust God and walked underneath his word. Sent Ruth out into the field. Claimed that Boaz was a redeemer. She trusted or, or she held to the Levitical law. We see that Ruth trusted in Naomi's God, clung to her and her God. But today she's gone a step further, totally trusting in God. And we see Boaz walking by God's word, his kindness, reflecting God's kindness. And Boaz to Jesus, we see Jesus walked by God's Word, this story points us to a, a greater redemption, a greater redeeming, a greater buying back, where it will cost God his only son to buy his back. Huge, huge cost. Level three. What does this mean for us today? Let's finish. Will you walk by God's word? You'll try and you'll fail. You'll read and you'll fail again. You'll trust for a moment and you'll fail again. Will you keep coming back to God's word? Will you plan in obedience? Will you take risks in obedience? Will you trust in obedience? Will you daily deny yourself? Knowing that you cannot do it but that Jesus has done it. Will you trust Trust. It's timely that today is the first Sunday of Advent. Time of waiting. Time of expectation, anticipation. And yet we're called to walk by faith. We're called to trust. We're called to trust and obey. For there's no other way, as the old song goes, to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Town Church, here's our calling, that we'll walk by God's word. Let's plan. The small decisions, the big decisions. Let's plan in obedience. Let's take risks in obedience for the Lord Jesus. Go and invite someone. 
Go and invite someone to the Christmas activity at town church. Go and speak of him. Don't trust in obedience. Just keep trusting. We're going to sing about what it looks like to trust in Christ, who is my hope in life and death. And as we think of this story of Ruth in the Old Testament, as we get our heads around what's just happened, as we we try and work out those different levels, what does this mean and what does it teach us about God and what does this look like for us as a church to live out, then our minds are pointed towards Christ. He's ultimately our hope in life and death. So let's stand and sing these words together.